0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, May 28th, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I'm here solo today following what was a difficult news day on Wednesday. We are going to have a nice balm for you in the second part of the episode, though, with both our recommendations. And then also Mr. James Marino sat down to chat with Broadway star Carrie O'Malley, where they talk about everything from Sondheim to her role in the new Snowpiercer series and everything in between. But first, if you're so inclined, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon to back us if you haven't already, and most importantly, are able to do so at this time. Your support means the world to us right now and always. Today, I unfortunately have to report on yesterday's difficult news, and that is that Larry Kramer, playwright, AIDS activist, and so much more, has died. Within the theater community, Kramer was best known for writing The Normal Heart, which opened at the Public Theater in 1985 and had a subsequent revival in 2011, directed by Joel Gray and George C. Wolfe and starred by Joe Mantello, Jim Parsons, John Benjamin Hickey, and Ellen Barkin. That revival won three Tony Awards, including Best Revival. His second most well-known work, The Destiny of Me, a prequel sequel to The Normal Heart, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1993, winning Obie and Lucille Lortel Awards. His other works include Just Say No in 1988, Sissy's Scrapbook, aka Four Friends, as well as A Minor Dark Age in 1973, and The Furniture of Home in 1989, as well as other unproduced works. He was honored with the Isabel Stevenson Tony Award in 2013 for his public service to the theater community. Per an interview he gave to the New York Times in March, he was working on another play at the time of his death called An Army of Lovers Must Not Die in response to the COVID-19 pandemic about gay people having to live through three plagues, the AIDS crisis, the coronavirus pandemic, and generally the decline of the human body. To the world at large, Kramer was one of the first and most prominent voices of the HIV-AIDS crisis. A writer-turned-writer activist, he was one of the founders of the gay men's health crisis. And dismayed by the organization's hesitancy to turn more political, founded the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, or ACT UP, which demanded immediate action and recognition of the AIDS crisis as a public health emergency. Larry Kramer died on Wednesday from pneumonia and is survived by his husband, David Webster. He was 84 years old. Of course, Kramer's work and life's work has touched so many people around the world, including members of the Broadway community who shared their reaction on social media on Wednesday. Maybe the most touching being Gideon Glicks, who played Ned in A Reading of Destiny of Me. He writes, It was one of the most thrilling evenings of my life. To prepare, I spent a couple of hours at Larry's apartment to discuss his play and to discuss life. I sat there utterly in awe. He grilled me about my generation. Why don't you guys do more? This administration is destroying us. Twitter isn't enough. I told him my thoughts, but knew they were insufficient. He commanded deep focus and deep respect. He fought so hard for us. Our community owes him everything. Benj Pasik also wrote, Larry Kramer was a superhero, a man who never let comfort get in the way of progress, an outspoken advocate saving countless lives. He led a community to stand up and demand recognition, slash to be acknowledged as human. Let us keep raising hell against all injustices in his honor. Over at the New York Times in a piece much better than its obituary, Jesse Green shared his thoughts in a piece entitled Larry Kramer, Prophet and Pussycat, and Charles McNulty at the Los Angeles Times wrote a lovely send-off entitled Larry Kramer, AIDS activist whose playwriting saved lives. I've included both both of those in the show notes, and I hope you check them both out. It is very difficult for me to memorialize Mr. Kramer, as I'm sure it has been for a lot of other queer people over the last day. But one thing is for certain, and that's that a lot of us, especially gay and queer men, are alive because of his activism, his work, his anger. A lot of farewells mention that he was often difficult or aggressive. He was all of that, and thank God for that. There are... Few greater, more important political movements in our history as ACT UP and few organizations as continuously important as the gay men's health crisis. He lived loudly through a time when so many wanted him dead and he changed the world because of it both through his activism and his writing. I will always remember the first time I read and saw The Normal Heart. I will always remember the first time I read Faggots. I will always remember Larry Kramer and the fight continues because of and in memory of him. There is no good segue into other news, but thankfully we do have some good news to close out with, with a lot in streaming news yesterday, starting with the Obie Awards, which made the announcement it will go virtual this year. The ceremony, which honors off and off-off Broadway theater, will be held virtually on June 4th and will be filmed and edited in advance with the winners, given the heads up so their acceptance speeches can be recorded. They have, of course, been asked to not share the news ahead of the official ceremony. Alt-Cabaret comedian Cole Escola will host the event. As of now, the Obies have announced three honorees, Lifetime Achievement Awards for outgoing Artistic Director of Playwrights Horizons, Tim Sanford, and actor Viney Burroughs, as well as a citation for Michael Feingold, the longtime Village Voice theater critic. The ceremony is expected to last about two hours, featuring at least five musical performances, including opening and closing numbers led by Escola, a tribute to Merrily We Roll Along, featuring alumni of the show, an in-memoriam segment accompanied by Shana Taub, and a musical excerpt from one of the winning shows. The stream will be held on YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and will be p- preceded by a ticketed virtual fundraiser featuring the Patti Lapone. Also yesterday, MCC Theatre announced that its annual Miscast Gala will be presented virtually this year, live streamed on the MCC Theatre YouTube channel. The fundraiser will now be presented online on June 20th at 8pm and will be a free viewing experience. The lineup for this year's event will be announced shortly, and the organization will donate a percentage of the money raised during its broadcast to the Mental Health Coalition, with the remaining proceeds providing support to MCC, its youth company, and its literary development work. Across the pond, the Old Vic announced a new artistic initiative called Old Vic Colon In Camera, which will feature a run of socially distanced performances of Duncan Macmillan's Lungs, starring Matt Smith and Claire Foy, as well as a series of rehearsed play readings. You'll recall Smith and Foy were supposed to start a run of Lungs at the Brooklyn Academy of Music for March 25th through April 19th. That obviously did not happen. These series will be streamed live from the Old Vic stage with the empty auditorium as a backdrop. Each performance will be available for up to 1,000 people per night to replicate the venue's usual audience capacity, and tickets will range from 10 pounds to 65 pounds. Performances for Lungs are scheduled to start in June, exact dates to be announced soon. Back home, the Lavender Effect, the nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing LGBTQ plus heritage and culture, will host a virtual Pride Parade this coming Sunday, May 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and Facebook Live. This year's parade host and grand marshal will be Wicked and Transparent star Alexandra Billings. Additionally, the event is set to include appearances by Judith Light, Audra McDonald, Betty Buckley, Lily Tomlin, Sean Hayes, Bradley Whitford, and more. You can visit thelavendereffect.org for tickets and information. And finally, Broadway Cares slash Equity Fights AIDS has announced its first ever Broadway Cares Virtual 5K. Runners, walkers, hikers, bikers, dancers, and quote, singers who move well, very funny, are invited to the virtual event, which can be which can be completed anywhere as long as you are social distancing. It is free to register and each participant has a suggested minimum fundraising goal of $250. Money raised will go to support Broadway Cares in its COVID-19 emergency efforts. You can sign up at Broadwaycares.org slash virtual5K. I have two bittersweet recommendations and one actual feel-good recommendation today to wrap up the show. In tribute to Larry Kramer, I wanted to include his acceptance speeches for both his Normal Heart Best Revival Tony Award in 2011, as well as his Isabel Stevenson Award in 2013. And then in a proper feel-good recommendation, the original Broadway and London cast of the drowsy chaperone, including Bob Martin, Beth Level, Casey Nicola, and more, reunited for a virtual fundraiser helping to support the Actors Fund and funds for, funds for freelancers. And they all performed as we stumble along reprise together. I just love the Jazzy Chaperone so, so much. It brought the biggest smile to my face after a hard day. So please check that out if you need a smile too. All right, that is all we have for you on this Thursday. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway, and be sure to stick through the rest of the episode to hear James's interview with Broadway and Snowpiercer star Carrie O'Malley. If you are willing and able, head over to patreon.com slash Radio or broadwayradio.com slash Patreon to back us if you haven't already, or head over to your podcasting platform of choice and our Facebook to show us some love in the form of a review. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at no, this is Ashley. Have a happy Thursday, everybody. Be safe, take care of yourself and one another, and we will be back to talk with you tomorrow.
1: What was that? Was that me? Was that him? Did a prince really kiss me? And kiss me and kiss me? And did I kiss him back? Was it wrong?
2: With us today, we have a a a very special guest. Carrie O'Malley is joining us. Broadway fans know Carrie from her seven Broadway shows. On a clear day, you could see forever Irving Berlin's White Christmas, Billy Elliot, Into the Woods, that was the 2002 production, Annie Get Your Gun, Translations, and Cyrano. Carrie, thank you so much for coming back to Broadway Radio. So good to talk to you.
1: It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to have someone to talk to during this crazy quarantine time.
2: It is crazy quarantine times, but you know what? On Sunday nights at 9 p.m., I turn on my television, and I see you. Yay! I see you, because you're doing that whole uh, Snowpiercer thing Snowpiercer. with uh, <laughs> with Lena Hall and David. Yes, and, it's great. And Mike. And Mike, Brother Mike, yes. <laughs> Brother Mike. Oh, uh, it's crazy that you're there, you know, in... in in a thousand and one car train uh, in um, a world that is uh, slightly more sane than what we have today.
1: Oh boy. It it feels pretty, um, it it feels pretty close to what we have today in many ways. You know, I feel like that the, the distinctions between the haves and the have nots is, is a, uh, a warning about what we could have if we don't, you know, especially after a crisis like the one we're having right now. Um, the distinction between the people who are able to survive a crisis like that versus the people who are just deeply struggling to get by. I think it's very timely. And I, it's interesting because we, we had our, um, I mean, this has been in, in the works for a long time and who it changed
2: knew? teams and everything like that and changed the whole focus yeah. of the story and the characters. Yeah.
1: And if If it had, if it had aired earlier, I don't know that it would have, um, the same impact as when we're the feeling of being stuck on a train right in this closed space um this forced closeness, I think it has takes on new meaning when we've all you know at home stuck at home, sheltering at home, so. Um, I think it, it has. Don't you find that watching TV or movies that you you will see scenes and you'll think, "Oh my God, they're too close," you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like like it, it's it's um it's just a weird weird thing that happened historically. That this show was airing now, it's also I think really lucky for us because we have eyeballs that we probably wouldn't have if we were competing with you know sports and all the other. You know, movies opening and all things like that. Like I think we're just very lucky in terms of getting a foothold in audiences' minds just by um, happening at this time. And it's, uh, and I don't know. I, I think it's um, it's timely in terms of like what we're talking about with climate change. It's timely in terms of.
2: Let's back energy. up for a second and yeah. let's uh, summarize. You know, kind of give listeners an overview of Snowpiercer for those who haven't list- who haven't seen it yet on TNT. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Snowpiercer is a story about a um, post climate change world.
1: Basically, you have um, scientists trying to correct for global warming, and they overcorrect and. So- Suddenly the um the world is a frozen wasteland. And I, uh, I I believe in the mythology of the show, there is enough time that over over which the freeze is beginning for Mr. Wilford to plan this train circumnavigating the globe and it's in perpetual motion. And so it's like an arc. He's building an arc. And um and there are those who are smart enough to get on the arc and those who are not or who are not building their own arcs. And so Suddenly the freeze happens. The train is leaving the station and that's it for humanity. The only living people remaining on earth are on this train and they're separated by class. And um, what happens is as the train is leaving the station, it gets bombarded with people rushing the train, um, trying to get on to save their lives. Those people are put into the tail of the train. They don't have tickets. And so they are living in squalid conditions. The the um, the train did not plan to have enough resources for that many more people. So there's this um, tremendous uh, drive to survive in the tail of the train. And then it puts the train in a situation of class warfare be between the people who planned ahead and got tickets and paid for them and the people who got on just to survive and are, um, you know, trying to get out of the tail. So we're separated into first class, second class, third class tail. And, um, and it's run by this shadowy Mr. Wilford um, figure and uh, Melanie Cavill, who is played by the amazing Jennifer Connelly, And then the inciting incident of this television series, which takes place about seven years before the film, um, if anyone has seen the film, is that there's a murder on the train and David Diggs' character was a a homicide detective in um, the time before the freeze. And they pull him out of the tail to try to solve the mystery of the murder because the uh, well, you, you'll have to watch to figure out why they need to solve this murder so badly. But um, it, And then we take it from there. It's not it's not really a murder mystery so much as that's just the inciting incident.
2: So, so uh, Lena Hall was uh, talking with Matt Tamanini on Broadway Radio a few weeks ago, and she talked about how she was hired for it, then it was put on hold, and then it reinvented itself and things like that. Have you been all, along for that whole ride as well?
1: No, it's interesting. I auditioned for the pilot... Um, originally to play Josie, uh, who's in The Tale. And Uh uh, I didn't get that. And then it came back again uh, about a year later. And uh, the showrunner had changed. And so it was a whole new creative team. Um, And and it was auditioning for a completely different part. And then um, what was interesting is they didn't know that Mike and i were related oh. and so um i was cast on my own and then i i said hey mike you know m- mention uh <laughs> you might want to mention i'm your sister yeah. so it was really <laughs> fun because there were times on set you know when we were both there and people had no idea that we
2: were related it was
1: uh, <laughs> really fun so um yeah so i wasn't there for the and and very little of that original pilot uh remains i think the i think the scuba diving or, or diving scene in the, in the fish car remains. And I, uh, I believe there may be footage from the cattle car that remains from the pilot, but the story is different. The characters are different. The, the, um the approach is different. What we have in common is that it's the snow piercer universe. There's a, you know, the, the idea of the train circumnavigating the globe is, that's all the same, but there are different characters.
2: So you have, as I mentioned, seven Broadway shows. You have more than 60 film and television productions. Uh, And it's really, really amazing that you were able to go back and forth between Broadway and the West Coast to do film and television. Um, You know, what is – you know, how how are you able to work that? Do you have – Agents and managers for both film and television and and legit theater that that work with each other to to schedule you around when when you can and also you do concerts around and other types of things and I you're always doing you know great little Critterland concerts with Bruce Kimmel and
1: oh it's great we're doing another one that's coming on the seventh um we're doing these Critterland at home ones that are really really oh fun. really uh, yeah Bruce is so great we um it's been, it, since I've moved to LA, uh, I moved out here in, um, 2013, 2013. Yeah. Right after, um, on a clear day closed. And it, it's been really great because Bruce, ha- Bruce has this monthly cabaret series and I have, it's been a great outlet for me to sing regularly and to, and he always gives me just great material. So keeps my, you know, chops and, and, uh, and I've done a lot of musicals since I've come out here, but the main focus was TV. But in answer to your question, I do, I have representation on both coasts and I always viewed myself as bi And so I would, I would be, I, d- I just feel like I'll, wo- I'll work anywhere, you know? Um, and from the beginning, I have always said to my agents that I, I wanted to do it all. And so I, tried to be very active in terms of the choices I made whenever a job ended. So if I did a musical, the next thing I wanted to be either a play or a TV show. If I did a comedy, I wanted the next thing to be a drama. If I did a period show, I wanted the next thing to be contemporary so that I kept people confused about what I do. (laughs) So it didn't get pigeonholed. Oh, she's she's this. You know, so I wanted to, um, and I've been very, very lucky that that has worked out for me. Um, uh, the, what's hard, I think, and and harder and harder with Broadway these days is that it just takes so long for shows to get to fruition. And after having a few kind of, you know, devastating heartbreaks of, of shows that I'd worked on for years that either didn't happen or happened and failed or happened with someone else. I just was like, uh, you know, I gotta take a break from this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was supposed to be back this season in 1776.
2: Um, that's right. ART.
1: Yeah. And we were supposed to be opening at ART, uh, tomorrow, today's Wednesday, right? Yeah. Tomorrow was supposed to be our opening night. (sighs) So, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's such a heartbreaker. We were so excited to do the show. So who knows what will happen with live theater? Obviously we're all hoping we can find our way out of this, but uh, you know, it's just on hold. And I believe the show will happen. Is will we be able to keep the, the team we have, you mm-hmm. know, uh, who knows, who knows what happens between now and then. I, I really want to, I was really looking forward to coming back to Broadway, especially in this show. So, um, we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens.
2: All female version of a, of 1776,
1: right? Well, all, all, um, we have genderqueer, trans, non-binary. So all female is not, it's not exactly correct. Okay. Um, But, uh, I, I believe we, yes, all, all gender inclusive, I guess. um, Oh, good. Yeah. That's a better way. Yeah. I'm trying to find the perfect, the perfect way to say it.
2: (laughs) Um, So. You, uh, IBDB, not IBDB. I make this mistake all the time. The other one, IMDB, you know, (laughs) IMDB has you listed in eight episodes of Snowpiercer. Did, uh, did you spend much time up in Vancouver? That's where they shot?
1: Yeah. Vancouver, which is one of my favorite places on earth. It's absolutely spectacular. Um, uh, yes, I was back and forth, um, the interesting thing about the way this show was shot is that because each of the classes is so separate, they can sort of block oh, shoot. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: you know.
1: The, so um, and when we started, uh, not all the sets for first class were built when the show started shooting. So they did a lot of stuff in the tail first. I think probably the first uh, maybe month of shooting was all in the tail. And then, um, and then, so I came up once the, and then we would keep adding cars. So like, you'll see my car where I live. Uh, I can't remember what episode that comes in, maybe episode five, um, or six. I can't remember. Um, but you'll see that later, but that wasn't built when I started shooting. So we were not shooting in order. And interestingly enough, my, um, very first scene I shot on the show was with my brother and <laughs> it was in episode five. So. It's really weird, like talk about jumping on a moving train, you know, to show up on set and just be like, okay, I'm jumping in. I hope this character choice is correct because I haven't done the (laughs) four episodes yet, so I hope I'm in the right place for where we're going. (laughs) Ah, Crazy, you know, and then you think, okay, well, I made that choice for five, so I guess I got to stick with it.
2: (laughs) You got to build it, yeah. (laughs)
1: Right. Um, so that is, uh, yeah, so I was back and forth, and then um, I think we wrapped season one around January 2019, and season two is not quite wrapped because of coronavirus. And then, of course, it takes uh, a crazy amount of time to do all the effects, you know? Sure. So, um, but yes, I have, was going back and forth to Vancouver, but usually for you know because i'm because i'm mostly in first class uh the the great thing about the show is we're all only on sets we don't have to ever have to travel to locations so they can shoot out you know if i have uh three scenes in an episode i can shoot that out in a day you know um wow and, can, and not always but there are there are some times that you could go up go back you know uh, yeah so, But I was not there for a great length of time. I was back and forth. Mike was up uh, much longer, partly because he moves throughout the cars because he's a brakeman on the train. So he's, he's living in all the different worlds. I'm mainly living in first class.
2: So uh, Lena had mentioned that there's a little cabaret up in Vancouver that she gets the chance to sing up there. Are, are, are we going to be able to see a, a cabaret with you and Lena?
1: Oh God, wouldn't that be fun? Ah, oh, she's so great. That voice is nuts. I mean, <laughs> yes. God, she's good. And that and that introduction to her character is so great. That outfit, that was so Marlene mm. Dietrich, and the you know, just she just sings so great. I can't wait for you to see what she gets to do later in the season. Um, but that boy, that would be fun. Of course, she's in New York, and I'm in LA, and yeah. Do most. But she did she tell you about how she got to sing at the premiere party?
2: No. I don't Um, think that she did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they did this virtual premiere party and it was kind of like, um, the idea was that it was sort of based on sleep no more where you would go into different Uh rooms in the train and each room would have its own life. And she was doing like the night car and did like a, like an hour long set. It was incredible. So, so it's incredible. So you would get a you'd get a, a ticket to the premiere, and you'd log in, and you um, and you would watch the the, the show, the premiere of the show, and then you could ex- explore the train. And then she had um, so she had like a green screen and cameras, and then some guy in Hawaii is mixing her sound. And I mean, it was incredible. It's incredible what they can do remotely. Sure. So she did a whole set. And, uh, I mean, it it was, it was just nuts. It was just nuts. So I, I, I'm so bummed that we couldn't have a live premiere party and watch her really get to do her thing live and, you know, on stage, you know, lights, camera, action. So, but hey, we're making, making the best of a bad situation.
2: So tell us about what the, uh what the environment is like on the West coast right now, right here in, in New York, obviously Broadway is, is closed and we have nothing on the horizon insofar as uh, reopening hard dates. Um, you know, what's the feeling in, in Hollywood?
1: I feel like, um, I feel like there is just a, like a miasma of uncertainty, um, and anybody you ask, you'll say, you know, well, when do you think we'll be back? And then someone will offer an opinion that's based on no facts, but just hopes, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we want to be shooting by the end of the summer. And it's like, but what is that based on? You know, how can we keep people safe? And I, and honestly, I don't know how the unions will come to agreement on how we stay safe, especially without a vaccine. Like, how do you test people? And And like i just i took that contact tracer course through coursera um and the, this notion that people are are infectious while being asymptomatic and infectious before they even the one even the people who show symptoms that they're infectious before they they um seem sick there the and so it's not like testing people's temperatures is going to make a difference if they don't have symptoms yet, sure. you know? I yeah. just don't know how we keep people safe. And it's funny, I was uh, there was a thread on well it's not funny, it's 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 uh it's kind of upsetting, but there was a a thread on Facebook that I was in about, you know, when can Broadway come back and and they're saying, well, you know, you can separate the audience, you know, like six feet apart, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Yeah, but what about the actors? What about the people backstage, like we're touching the same things. We're breathing the same air. We're singing in each other's faces. Sometimes we're even kissing. You know, dancers are touching each other. How do we do that and be safe? Like, how do you do a farce when you cannot hmm. disinfect the doorknobs? <laughs> you know? I mean, how do we do it? I don't know. Like, I don't know. So um, I feel like for TV, obviously, everybody is desperate to get back to work. I mean, just desperate to get back to work. And, um, and there is a real fear setting in about the economic calamity that many of us are facing and, and knowing, you know, there's that the survival jobs that people regularly do are also gone. You know, you can't, if you're an actor who regularly waits tables or, or attends bar, those jobs are gone. Um, if you're, uh, an actor who coaches, those jobs are gone. Who's paying for coaching right now, you know? Um, if you're an acting teacher, how do you, do you want to teach acting over zoom? You know, it's really, uh, it, it we'll have to, you know, we just have to change so many things. So I don't know. I feel like, uh, it's just crazy uncertainty and, um, and very deep fear. And that feels terrible.
2: So we're approximately 160 days or so uh until november 3rd which is uh the election day here in the united states you have been doing so much um i'm going to call it activism do you think that that's activism i mean your letter writing campaigns your texting your postcarding all the other things that you are doing to get out the vote uh you tell us about that
1: Well, uh, so I, I do a lot of, um, we have some great Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Um, uh, we have a bunch of great democratic clubs in LA that are very, very active that has, have some incredible, um, volunteer leaders. Um, I work with a group called grassroots Dems HQ. There's also Westside Democratic Club. Um, and they have every single day, they have a different, um, volunteer opportunity, many, many different volunteer opportunities that you can participate in i write postcards from home um i write letters from home and then my my main volunteering activity is texting voters with a group called Open Progress and we text on um a number of different different issues uh, pro- all progressive issues and we are Right now we're doing a lot. We text a lot for the Democratic Attorneys General of America. So those are the people who are on the front lines of all the legal fights, like fighting to save Obamacare, um, reproductive rights, LGBT rights uh, in the courts. So those those down ballot races are very, very important. We also did a tremendous amount of work in flipping the house in 2018. Um, and we've done a number of governor, t- uh, governor campaigns, uh, like Andy Bashir in Kentucky, we recently did. Um, we do house, uh, state house races, et cetera. Right now we're doing some, what we call deep ID campaigns where we're trying to identify, um, pro-choice voters. And so, so we can target them later and we're doing a campaign right now about, um, finding out people's opinions about vaccines and where we need to target Education about vaccines, especially when the COVID nineteen vaccine becomes available. So, anyway, very that was very long winded, but I have sent over two
2: point six million texts. That's what I was getting at. You sent <laughs> two point six million text messages, and I, I you know, <laughs> it's 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 kind of a little crazy and OCD. But um, you haven't given two point six million people your phone number, have you?
1: No, no, no. You, you use a software and you do it all on a
2: computer and then you
1: get batches of like 300 at a time and there's less than a 10% response rate. So it's not like 2.6 million people have responded to me, but. um, If
2: they knew it was you, I bet you get a higher response rate.
1: (laughs) Well, what I love about this group is that they, they encourage conversations they're not, um, we're really trying to, we we start with the political campaigns, we start with a listening campaign, we ask voters what are the issues that matter to them, all that information goes back to the candidate, then we do a persuasion campaign, and then we do a get out the vote campaign. And so um, all of those things are going to be so important now during, um, you know, the coronavirus uh, crisis, because we really need people to be able to vote safely and Unfortunately, we have a President who's trying to teach people that you know voting by mail is fraud, so
2: there's a lot of unless it's people. him
1: yes, exactly, unless it's him so um I love open progress if anybody wants to join um check us out on the um on the interwebs and uh and join us because they do they train you they they it's not, you know, it's not like just click, 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 click. You know, it's work. Um and I do every I do it every day and I I when uh I think it's this next episode of Snowpiercer, I have a really fun picture. From between scenes, where I was texting in a gown, <laughs> it was during we shot that that episode during the uh, 2018 midterms, and I was texting literally every free minute because I felt like we have to save democracy. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I do a lot of that. I do. I pretty much do. I, I phone bank. I text bank. I write letters. I I donate. I you know. I just. I just feel very strongly that we have to. Um, I'm tired of people complaining who aren't doing anything. Like, you have to do
2: something. So my morning routine is uh, to get up and to get a cup of coffee, check my email, and then I want to see which Boston outfit of the day that Andy has on. (laughs) Could you tell people about your collection? So, Carrie, you are from Nashua, New Hampshire, which is outside of the Boston area. And you have – I'm pretty sure that you got involved with Snowpiercer because it's the only thing large enough to hold your collection of Boston uniforms. (laughs) of and all the Boston teams not just the Patriots and not just the Red Sox but I love,
1: the teams. I love them all the Bruins I am, and- I have a I have a deep love of the sports ball and I have a deep love of the um the sports clothing so I have a closet organized by team and um <laughs> I have so when <laughs> so when this all started I I redid my will because I thought, oh, well, if there was ever a time to redo your will, now is the time. Um, and my my good friend, John, is, who's an estate attorney, helped me with it. And we are crazy Boston sports fans together. And so we just had a laugh about how we needed to put a clause in my will to pay for the trailer trucks to take the Boston sports memorabilia <laughs> away <laughs> <laughs> and what I should do with it. So I... Trying to make light of a, a, not light, but trying to find some joy in a terrible time, I decided I would post a daily picture of um, what I call the the Too Much or Not Enough series and try to put on as many Boston things as possible for the day. And Andy, my little dog, has a matching outfit. So um, it's, and I basically, I, I, I do not lie. I think that I could go until December without repeating. Oh,
2: my goodness.
1: Uh, At least the shirts. I could go without – I might have to repeat some – I would have to repeat some hats. And Andy doesn't have as many clothes as I do. That would be a little crazy. Andy's a puppy. For for me, I could probably
2: go without repeating
1: until Christmas. (laughs) So – Hey, it's better than crack, right? I mean, it's – Oh, you know. <laughs> and I always buy stuff with a coupon. So, and it's a collection that has been built up over a long time. So I, I'm making excuses. It's a. It's very silly. It make, brings me joy, and I also have that problem with books. I have a lot of books.
2: Yeah, your know? you, your uh, your your the wall of your den is. Uh, it's it, so is, hot. <laughs> It It's like it's like Bell lives there exactly
1: <laughs> but it's so wonderful to sit in it it's just i just look around and i just see all these wonderful things it's so i love it i love it so yeah when i moved, when I moved from new york i gave away a third of my library <sighs> and i regretted it ever since and of course i have i have since gained back as many if not more so a, a lot of good that did me
2: moving books across a country though that's that's an expensive thing
1: People hate you, man. The movers come and they see the boxes of books and they're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm like, what do you know? What do you
2: know? I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of knowledge in there. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Well, Carrie O'Malley... Our dear friend is such. It's such a treat to talk to you. I want everybody to catch up with Carrie and Lena and David and everyone else on the Snowpiercer train on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. on TNT, which is available everywhere through many different types of apps and television stations and things like that you can catch up with carrie on the twitter machine at the carrie o'malley and uh, check out the cute pictures of the bogey and the andy and her husband carl and all of the wonderful things and please come back and talk with us when 1776 is back on because we would love to hear about that project
1: Oh, I would love to. It's going to be so, so good. It's just going to, there's going to be so much to talk about. <laughs> I can't wait for you to see it. Then a moment who can live in the woods And to get what you wish Only just for a moment These are dangerous woods Let the moment go Don't forget it for a moment, though Just remembering you had an and When you're back to or Makes the ore mean more Than it did before Now I understand And it's time to leave the war